ask you to turn to King, 2 Kings 25, verse 1 to 9. This voice saith the following to me as you turn there. The siege, the coming siege. 2 Kings 25, verse 1 to 9. The word of God says the following. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged on the, until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for, people, for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the, uh, the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by the way of the plain. Verse 5, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, verse 8, of the, on the seventh day of the month, which was the ninth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, verse 9, and he burnt the house of the Lord. There are three things that I want to talk to you about which are in the coming season and the time that we are going in as the world and in as the church. And these three things are what the enemy plans against the whole world and the church. And the, we have to be aware of what these three things are. It is important that we, as I've already said, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches and what God is trying to warn us and what the enemy is plan is against the church. We have to remember that we have an enemy. And this enemy is not on vacation. He, is not, he hasn't taken a retirement package. This enemy knows that his time is very short. He has a very limited time, so much so that he is now speeding up what he needs to do He's expediting and fast-tracking everything he needs to do. He is now intensifying what he needs to do because his time is short. And he is doing this so that he can take as many as he can to his retirement home. That is the plan that the enemy has. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not your mother-in-law. It is not a political party that you really dislike. 
he's an accuser of the brethren. And his role is to confine and restrict the church. That is what a siege was. A siege was a military operation where the enemy's forces would come around the cities, the villages, and the towns, all to, 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 so that no one could go in and no one could come out. It was an operation where they would constrain and restrict everything until only essential services were operating. Does that sound kind of familiar? And the reason why the enemy would do this is all because he wanted you to become very comfortable with the situation that was happening, the new normal. If you lived in that time, what, what would happen in a time of a siege and the, and the enemy came around your town, your city, it would take some months. The Bible says, as we just read, it's, it would take months on end and eventually the environment that you lived in eventually seemed as though it was very normal to have such a situation. It was normal to wear masks. It was normal to have 50 people in church. It was normal to come in and out of quarantines. It became very normal. The enemy would try and constrain the food that would be in that city to the point, and it's unusual that there would be a famine in that place. And the Bible says that there is coming a time when there will be a famine of the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The plan of the enemy is to constrain the body of, uh, of Christ so that the, is, the word is restricted and they cannot hear the word anymore. That is what the plan of the enemy is. He wants to restrict so that eventually your strength wanes. You come to a breaking point. When you don't have food, eventually you have spiritual kwashioka. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 27, do not give him an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold. When you give him an inch, he takes a mile. When he takes a mile, he takes even more than a mile. Don't give him room. Don't give him an opportunity. That's what the enemy wants. He is looking for a crack in your system. And when he sees a crack in your system, he will maximize on it. The one thing that the enemy does not understand is called, it's what's called an impenetrable wall. He will see something that he can go through. An example, he came to Jesus Christ and he tried to test him and tempt him. When he failed, the Bible literally says he went away from him for a season so that he could come back and try again. And our enemy will continuously try and bring us down. Jesus Christ was tempted. He was tested not at the moment of his physical strength. He was tempted at the moment of when he was physically weak. The Bible says that the enemy never came to him on the first day of his fast. Never came to him on the 20th day of his fast. Never came to him on the 30th day of his fast. It says after 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. Then the enemy came. And he tested him 
on his identity as a son of God. And you and I are going to go through the same thing and we, it would intensify and continuously become more and more in the times that we live. The word of God says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Now the Spirit of God expressly says, clearly says, that in the last times, in the latter times, in the last days, many shall abandon their faith. They would depart from the faith. The enemy wants that. Jesus puts it this way. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find you still believing in him? In the pandemic that we, have, we are in, the quarantines, the confinements, the restrictions, the variants, and the new normals. The enemy doesn't want you dead. doesn't care if you die. He learned his lesson 2,000 years ago. And this is his lesson that he learned. If I kill one person, I will have millions of more of these people. When he killed Jesus Christ, he got millions and thousands and whatever, billions of people coming into to the, to God. So he doesn't want to kill you. His plan is to circumvent the work of God by neutralizing the Christian. Because a neutralized Christian is as good as a dead Christian. There is no difference. It's like the living dead, zombies. You are living, but you're dead. They, you, you, there's, they, there's nothing of growth that's coming from you. And that's what the enemy wants. That's why God specifically says the following to each one of us. I would rather that you were hot and cold and not lukewarm. Because God wants a vibrant church. He wants a zealous church. So the three phases that the enemy wants to unroll in the times that are coming. And um, the, as we read, the Bible says that they broke through the wall. And they broke through the, the, the wall, Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. And we are the people of peace. They broke through the wall. And when they broke through the wall, they chased the, 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 the king. They pursued the king. They overtook the king and caught the king. Three words that we need to, to, to understand and, and, and capture those words. And they brought him back and brought judgment on a man called Zedekiah whose name actually means the Lord is just. Zedekiah's name was not called, he was not called Zedekiah before. He was called Matinian um, um, or something like that, which means the gift of God. So they changed the, the grace of God to the Lord is just, to God's justice. And the other two people mentioned in that story is Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuzaradan, and these names carry in them a significant name, which is Nebu, which was the patron god of knowledge of schools of scribes. And so the plan of the enemy is to bring in the worldly knowledge within the gates and within church. That is why you were seeing so much motivational uh, uh, preaching rather than preaching that points to Jesus Christ. He, that's what the enemy wants to do. 
He wants to bring in science, technology. He wants to bring in uh, philosophies and ideologies of man in the body of Christ. And so there are three things that the enemy did. And the first thing is he eliminated posterity. Number one, he eliminated posterity. In 2 Kings 25 verse 7, it said, They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Posterity, that word means succeeding in future generations. In Psalms 127 verse 3 to 5 from the Message Bible. It says, don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb is generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You will sweep them right off your doorstep. If I was your enemy, and I read that, just like what the devil did when he said, Is, isn't it written in the, in the word? If I was your enemy, and I knew the Bible, your enemy knows the Bible. He may not know its full revelation, but he knows what's written inside. If I was reading that, I would come against the one constant that would defeat me, that would always determine my defeat. And that one constant is children. I would come against that. The worst affected in the pandemic have not been the dead. It hasn't been the sick. It hasn't been economies. According to stats, it says 168 million children have been affected by educational disruption in the whole world. We are not talking about social disruption. We are not talking about economical disruption. We're not even getting to spiritual disruptions. And it is our duty as adults, as, one, as, as those who know God, to be role models to the next generation. It is our duty. Godly love is not spending time, necessarily just spending time with my family. It is good to spend time with my family. Jesus said the following. He said in Matthew 12 verse 46, when they came and said, your mother and your brother and your sister are outside waiting for you. Because Jesus Christ had not been home for a couple of months <laughs> and they were looking for him. And he says, he turns to his disciples and says to them, listen, who are my brothers and who are my sisters? And he looks at the ones he was teaching and says, here are my brothers and my sisters. So the family of God is found in a place called here. It's not found in a place where you're all by yourself. And he goes on and says, those who do the will of God are my brothers and sisters. So the will of God is you listen to the word and you come together. Not necessarily in a building, 
but you come together with other believers. That is the family of God. So when I am showing love to my family, I will show love to my family by pressing hard into God, by going after God and bringing my family into God's family. The centurion, when he wanted to kill himself, the Paul says, salvation is for you and your household. So God wants you and your household in his family. The plan of the enemy is to bring total breakdown in, 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 in the future generations and in the society, in the moral fiber in society, is to bring decay and anarchy in, the, in society. Ladies and gentlemen, if you thought you had seen the epitome of a dysfunctional generation or a broken down generation, watch, comes out, watch what comes out from a time when people don't go to church or don't even press hard for God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, it says, if the rulers understood. You see, the one thing that rulers don't understand is that there is a plan and agenda that God has. If they understood that closing down churches would do certain things, and I'm going to go into that. You and I should be the role models for the future generations. We should be leading them to Christ so that they have an image of Christ. If we don't do that, all manner of evil shall come forth. Ephesians, sorry, Romans 1 verse 8, 18. If you may turn there. Romans 1 verse 18. When we don't press into God, we are, we, we are like those who suppress the truth of God. And when we suppress the truth of God, when we suppress the gift of God, the gift which is grace, and we turn to the Lord is just, then we invite the wrath of God. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of, an, of the incorruptible God into an image. It sounds quite familiar with something that happened in this nation recently. God into an image made like corruptible man, 
and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men live in the natural use of women burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to, uh, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unclean unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. We will see in the times coming ahead an unprecedented abuse of substance as people try and escape this world. We will see violent crime like no man's business. You think that the, the violent robberies and stuff like that was because of economy. There is an underlying hand that's making these things what they are. And it will increase. And because of time, I just don't have the time to go into the violent crime part of it. We shall see disobedience of all authority to the ultimate authority, which is God. Because the word of God says that before the man of lawlessness appears, there shall be a rebellion before he appears. And so we need to understand that the times we are living in, the word of God says, where's where sin abounds, the grace of God will abound more. Second Kings 6 verse 24. Second Kings 6 verse 24. <clears throat> and it happened after this that Benadad king of Syria gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine, something about the famine and the siege, in Samaria. And indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cup of uh, dub droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the way, a woman cried out by, uh, to him saying, Help! My Lord, O King. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor 
oil from the winepress. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I say to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. In a time of a siege, what, is, what becomes the new normal is embracing donkey's heads and dove's dung. And dove, donkey's heads and dove's dung is an indulgence of, into things that do not bring any value. Whenever there is a famine, people substitute the word of God for what, will try, what, what, what they think will, will sustain them. But it does not sustain them. It does not give them nourish, nourishment. It gives them spiritual diarrhea and spiritual constipation. And so, donkey's heads and dove's dung. Donkey's heads. That is a beast of burden. It is going into activities where you are burdened as a believer. And you think that they, there's a spiritual uh, value to them. They give you a spiritual high. But before God, they are dead works. They mean nothing to God. Dove's dung. These are the droppings or the, or, or the excrements of a dove. Instead of going for the dove, the Holy Spirit, they are going to what the Holy Spirit used to do. What the Holy Spirit, they are, they are fixated by what he did in the past rather than what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. And so what is the Holy Spirit saying right now? The Holy Spirit is saying, that the enemy, the plan of the enemy, just like these women, is to take away future generations. No wonder there is so much push on a, a abortions. It's to take future generations away. Two instances. When Moses, a deliverer, deliverer was, was born, generations were cut off. When Jesus Christ was born, Generations were cut off. The plan of the enemy is to cut off generations so that he has an upper hand. And so the plan of the enemy, as, we have, as I've said, is to cut off the generation. But what is God saying? God is saying to the church, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So there is a standard that God is lifting up. And that standard, that standard is a standard wherein you and I need to live in. A standard where you and I raise up to. Because that standard that God is raising up is a deterrent to the enemy, to the work of the enemy. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, it says the following. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So what I've been talking about is a mystery of lawlessness. There is a mystery that is at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And that is why the enemy wants to take the church out of the way. Why Kilton rightly said that of all the things that were named, the church was named, that they shall not meet. 
He wants to take you out of the way so that the mystery of lawlessness intensifies and becomes more and more and the devil, the enemy can do as he pleases. But God is saying there is another mystery that counters that mystery of lawlessness, which is the mystery of the bride of Christ, where God has lifted up a standard against the enemy and he will use the, the bride of Christ until he himself takes the bride of Christ out of the world and the man of lawlessness is eventually manifested into the world. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You are so powerful. The Bible says in Matthew 16 verse 19, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But if the church is not there, there is nothing that can be loosed or, 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 or bound and the enemy can come in and do as he pleases. Therefore, it is important that you continue being a Christian. And as Kilton said, you don't backslide. It is important that you continue to read the word of God. You continue to pray. You continue to press in. You don't need a building, a church, or, or hundreds of people. All you need is just few individuals where you can say, today, let's meet and have church. It is important that the church continues to be the church. Otherwise, number one, it will eliminate posterity. Number two, which is the second point, impairment of vision. The enemy plans to impair vision. In 2 Kings 25, Verse um, 7, it says the following, And they put out the eyes of Zedekiah. Now, when you read that statement, it literally means they took out the eyes of Zedekiah. That's what it literally means. But there is a hidden meaning and a hidden mystery in that statement. Because the name Zedekiah means the Lord is just. So, if we read it unraveled, it says, and they put out the eyes of the Lord is just. The plan of the enemy is to distort the just ways of God. His plan is not to openly come and defy the word of God. Because all of us would know that that's the enemy. But his plan is to distort the word of God. And we see this in Genesis. He comes to the woman, Eve, and says, did not God say? He doesn't come in with a new message or anything else, but he comes with distortion. He comes with a, with, with a, a variant. These days we are high, we, 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 are, we, are, we, are, we, know, we now know what that word is. There's a new variant. He comes with a, a differing gospel. He comes with a different, different word. He comes to Jesus Christ in the desert and, and says, isn't it written in the word? So it tells you that the devil knows the word. Currently in this world, right now, the world that we live in, there is such a great distortion called human rights. Those, those human rights, as much as they are 
partly right. They are not wholly right. There is something that the enemy, the Bible says that the serpent was the most subtle of all animals. That means that he will subtly do certain things so that the word of God is distorted. And those human rights seem very humane, but they are against the word of God. There is a reason why the tree in the Garden of Eden was called the tree of good and evil. It's not that everything from that tree was good. You see, ladies and gentlemen, not everything in the human rights is good. It actually destroys mankind. And so it is important for us to understand that not everything in the tree of good and evil, just because it seems good does not mean it is good. Good in the absence of God is evil. Plain and simple. That's the only way I can put it. Good in the absence of God is evil. And therefore, human rights in the absence of the word of God is plain evil. Even though some human rights are correct. It does not make it the word of God. And so what the enemy has done is take those things called human rights and made them an opportunity for believers and the world to, uh, to, to take pleasure in their sinful nature, to take pleasure in their flesh rather than going after the Spirit. That is what they have done. The Bible says the following, he says that, and I say this in the earlier on in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the earlier service, that there is some bo- someone or somebody try stopping what the, the enemy is plan- planning to do, the progress of the enemy. And therefore, the enemy has come so that he takes that one person out of the way so that he does as he wishes. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 7 says the following, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. There is somebody right now stopping the mystery of the law, um, the, the, the mystery of lawlessness. Somebody. And that somebody is Jesus Christ. And that somebody called Jesus Christ is represented here on earth by the church. And the best way that the enemy has found is to take out the church so that he can do as he wills. I revealed earlier on that with the taking out of the church, whether we like it or not, with the taking out of the church, all manner of evil arises, whether we see it or not. Because we, when you are away from church, I'm not talking about four, the, these four walls. But when you are away from the church, you, start, you stop reading the Word of God. You stop praying. You even stop seeking other believers. And you just rely on just an online message. And that's where the enemy wants you to be. The enemy does not care. He does, not, he, he, he does not care. He actually enjoys it when you 
decide not to pursue God because he wants to neutralize the believer. There's something that the church does not capture or does not understand about the, the eyes. They seem to, to think the eyes are just some function of the body that is, as long as we have it, it's not that necessary. But from Scripture, we see that the enemy always seemed to take out the eyes. He took out the eyes of Zedekiah. He took out the eyes of Samson. He had already cut the locks of Samson, but still he went ahead and took out the eyes of Samson. All he needed to do was constantly put hair remover on Samson, and Samson would have been ineffective. But he seemed to be fixated by the eyes. The Bible says of Eli, it says that Eli, because he, he allowed certain things to happen in the temple, his eyesight became dim. His eyesight, he could not see the light anymore. Therefore, darkness was allowed to roam wherever he was because he, as an, as an authority, now could not see. Therefore, he could not execute his authority anymore. So there's something about the eyes that we need to understand. In, in Ephesians 1 verse 8, 18. Ephesians 1 verse 18. It says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. When you, can you go back to verse 18? When you have your eyes enlightened, you will know three things. You will know the hope of which God has called you to. You will know the calling and the purpose that God has placed in your, in your life. There is nothing that frustrates the enemy more than an individual who knows that God has called them. They are unstoppable. Nothing can stop such an individual. They try to stop Nehemiah, Nehemiah in Nehemiah 6 verse 23. It says uh, uh, Sambalat and Geshem called Nehemiah for coffee so that they could talk and, and, and settle some issues. But Nehemiah said, I cannot leave this section of the war. He calls it this great work. You see, when your eyes are open up, your priorities change. The work of God becomes great. And everything else is not even secondary. The work of God becomes very, very important. And nothing can change how you view the, wo the work of God. Not even lashes can change how you view the, word, the work of God and the calling of God. Not even stoning can change how you view the wo work of God. Not even imprisonment or threats against you. Paul says the following, in Acts 17, says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, in Acts 17, um, sorry, I think that that's the wrong one. Acts 26, sorry. 
It says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was willing to go to death because of the vision I received. And so the enemy wants to take away your vision. In Proverbs, in Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 26, is it 26? Sorry. Proverbs, it says the following, Proverbs 20, 29. It says, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation, the people cast off restraint, restraint they perish. And so when you don't have any vision, you perish. You cast off restraint. And the enemy wants you to cast off restraint. The second part of that is in Ephesians 1 verse 18. When your eyes are enlightened, you see the value of the body of Christ. A believer that does not come to church, or let me put it this way. When a believer, and the devil is fine with this, the devil is fine with you reading the Bible all by yourself at home. The devil is fine with you praying all by yourself at home. The devil is fine with you listening to online messages with a community that you never engage with all by yourself. He is fine with that. Because he knows that there is a value when you come together with other believers. There are riches that God has deposited in each one of you. That is why the enemy would want to cut off church. Cut off people meet, meeting and gathering. This is not just some simple thing where we just say, ah, we, 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 um, we're just closing churches while certain other things are operating. There is an underlying hand right now that is at work. Jesus said, let the dead bury themselves, yet you can meet 30 at a funeral. Our values need to change. We need to prioritize what God is saying at this moment. The third thing is this. When your eyes are enlightened, there is, you get to see the power that's at work within you. There is a certain power that's working right now inside of you. That power, ladies and gentlemen, is not a power that is encapsulated in a AAA battery. It is not held in a, a nuclear plant. That power that's working in you created this whole world that exists and eventually will dissipate when God comes. That same power, ladies and gentlemen, is the power that resurrected Jesus Christ. And the enemy has a problem when you know the power that's working inside of you. And therefore, he wants to cut off your vision so that you don't see the power that's inside. All you see yourself is a worm. You take words from an Old Testament uh, writing and you say, oh, what a worm I am. But you are the son of God. You are a child of God, empowered uh, with power from, the heaven, from, from God above. The Bible says that same power is the same power that regenerated your spirit and created a being that has never existed before. 
Do you know that the power that, that, the power that went into making you a believer, it took so much tremendous power, more than the creation of the world? It really took so much power just to make you born again and stand before God and not be able to die. Face God and, and see God and not be able to die. Because that power resurrected Jesus Christ. And that power makes you justified. And the devil has a problem with that power. Because you can create things. But let me tell you something about that power. You can reverse all the work that he has done. Everything that he's currently doing, all the, the, the steps that he thinks he has taken, you can reverse it. You can rebuild. You can restore. That is the power inside of you. And he has a problem with that. So how is he trying to cut off our vision? Revelations 3 verse 17 to 19. Revelations 3 verse 17 to 19. Now, Jesus Christ is talking to a, a church called the Laodicean Church. Now, the thing about the Laodicean Church, it is called, and we believe that it is the last church before Christ comes. And there are certain things that we are going to see. It says the following, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, you are miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye self, that you may see, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The problem that we have in the times that we live in is that we think we can get away with, with certain things because of grace. I am the one person that will preach grace every time. I'm one person because I know what it took for where I was to where I am right now. It's nothing to do with my works. But should we therefore sin so that grace abounds? That's what Paul says. Because when people heard the message of grace, they began to sin. Because they believed and they knew that God had saved them. But God says, if I love you, I'll chasten you. I'll rebuke you. That is what God is saying. I will rebuke you. He will go to so much lengths to get our attention. Just like he got my attention by speaking in an audible voice. He will go through such great lengths so that you repent. So that at the end of the day, you buy refined gold. You, buy, you, you, you wear white garments and you get eye cells for your eyes. So that you repent and turn 
from where and the way you are going and turn to what God is doing currently. The problem with the Laodicean church is not that they were lazy. That church was distracted by busyness, not business, busyness with other things of the world. They were distracted by a focus on trying to get ahead in life. They were distracted by so many other things and not focused on God. They, they were meant to focus more on God, but they focused on money and other things. God is calling for a zealous church. He is calling for a church that will have a heart for Him. And not a church that is zealous for money. Not a church that is zealous for building houses. Not a church that is zealous for, for going off into vacations, flying off into vacations wherever they can. Not a church that fills its social calendar wherever they can. Because, ladies and gentlemen, he wants a zealous church for himself. He wants a bride that is after his own heart. The Bible says of David, he was a man after God's heart. That is the church that God wants. Not a church distracted by many other things. The one thing that we can always do, and I know that for some I might be stepping on their toes or something and it might be cutting through you. The Bible says when Peter spoke, it cut their hearts. But the one thing that I want to say is that you can easily justify yourself to man. It is always easy to justify yourself to man. After hearing me speak like this and all that, you can say but and easily justify yourself and easily get away. There's a prophet in, 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 uh, in the first Kings where he went before a king and because he knew the king would always justify himself, he ended up just saying, you're going to have victory. You're going to defeat your enemies. And the king knew this guy's lying. So in my life, I've also come to a point where when I see people just justifying themselves, I'm like, that's fine. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. It's fine with, with, with your viewpoint. But there's one thing that people forget. You are speaking to mere men. But there is coming a time, Acts 17. There is coming a time... The Bible says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The time of ignorance God overlooked. There is a time that each one of us is going to stand before our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we try to justify ourselves, we will see that our justification does not hold water. The Bible says, and God one day is going to say this to each one of us. Brace yourself like a man because I want to question you. That's what God said to Job. And Job, when he was before God in Job 42, 
It says, I have, this is Job speaking, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. It is easy for us to utter between each other and justify our actions and justify why we do certain things. But before God, there is no excuse. There is absolutely no excuse. When the enemy pulls out your eyes, when the enemy cuts off your vision, you put up a facade, you put up, you build up a facade, you, you everything, you make it look like everything is fine because you are well versed with verses. Yeah, when you come to church, you can roll out verses and wow people with verses. You can sing that song, that church song so well because you're so well versed with that church song. You can do so many things, but... Internally, we all know what is truly happening. God knows what is truly happening because God sees all. And we cannot hide from God because all of us will face God eventually. And so, Jesus Christ is advising you and I to do a couple of things, but... At this moment, he's advising us to take up ourselves so that we may see. Not see ourselves, not see other people, but see God for who he is. Because, as the prophet said, there are many who are with us. When his servant could not see what God was doing, he said, There are many with us. He asked God, open up their eyes. And that is my prayer for you today and for myself. Father, open up our eyes that we may see. We may see your mighty work at hand in our lives and through our lives. Open up our eyes, Father God, so that we behold you in all your glory. Where we have been blind, where we have taken steps, Father God, that blind us, we pray, Father God, that you may forgive us. Lord God, we know your love. We know your love because we see Christ on the cross. And because he, he was resurrected from the dead, we know, Father God, that you truly love us. And so, Father God, like a father, Right now, uh, you speak to our heart. You speak to me, Father God. In this moment, Father God, we pray that the church's eyes are opened. The church's eyes are opened so that they see, Father God, what you are doing. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen.